This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. We ask that you would now illuminate these words that are in your word. Would you shine light on them? Or would you illuminate the words that I've prepared? Would you illuminate places in our hearts that need to hear a fresh announcement of the hope and joy we have in Jesus? Would you do all of this in your kindness and mercy? To great effect in our hearts and in our souls that you could shape us evermore into the people you'd have, you'd have us be. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. So he shall be called Mighty God. I want tonight to really begin with, with three questions. And I'm going to ask them like I did a few weeks ago. I'm going to let them sit for what will feel like an awkward amount of time. Question number one. If this child who is to come is called a mighty God, question number one for tonight is what can he do? Now the answer the scriptures will give us is anything he wants. And here's the second question. Okay, if he can do anything he wants, second question. Well, what does he want to do? We might say, what does he desire to do? We might say, what does he plan to do? And the answer to that question will be the sweetest announcement of good news that I can muster up in the moments we have together. And then the third question, which is the question you will likely ask after you hear us talk about the first and second question, here's the third question. The question is, are you sure? By the way, the answer to that one will be yes. So as we pursue these three questions, I think there's a main idea that will, I hope, become clear to you in these moments. It's the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is what you have to hear. Okay? This mighty God of ours, this Jesus, this mighty God with all this power and all this might that he has, he uses it. On behalf of us. Which is a way of saying he uses this might and this power for you. So let's take a look. What can this child who will grow up to be a king and a savior, what can he actually do? And the answer is he can do anything that he wants. Let me explain. Throughout the pages of the scriptures, the idea of God's power, 
This is the metaphor I've had in my head this week. The idea of God's power is like a train that begins to leave the station in Genesis chapter 1 and begins to travel down the tracks of the biblical story. And as the train leaves the station in Genesis chapter 1 and begins to make its way down the tracks of the biblical story, just this freight begins to get loaded on it. Like every story shows us one more thing about this power of God, one more thing about this might of God, one more thing about the strength of God, and it just begins to take on some freight as it moves down the tracks. Do train metaphors work? Do you guys? Well, if it doesn't, I have no alternative. Okay, so at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to this God and we're, we're told that he possesses all might, all power. He is the mighty God. And the way that we know at first is because he is able to speak words. And his words can make worlds. He speaks the world into existence. It's his position as the maker of all things. that's kind of exhibit A about his power. And the creed that we confess talks about, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty. Well, what makes you think he's almighty? The next line says, what? He's the maker of heaven and earth. There's so many times throughout the Bible's pages where a line will be thrown in there. And the line will simply say, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And see, in the biblical story, if the mouth of the Lord speaks, it is already as good as done. Because God's words are unique in the fact that when he speaks, things must occur. And his power, his might, as the idea begins to travel down the pages of the scriptures, we, we get these scenes where this might of God is just put on display. So for example, the ten plagues in the Exodus story. That is written to us as a showdown between sort of the little g gods of Egypt and the capital L, Lord of Israel. The obvious kind of lesson from that exchange is one of those gods, the Lord, is more mighty and more powerful than the others. See, ancient peoples worshipped all these created things. And the Bible tells over and over and over again, the thing you're worshipping, our God made that thing and, by the way, controls it. Think about Elijah on Mount Carmel. The priests of Baal cannot make fire come. Elijah prays and the Lord burns it up. Again, the Exodus story, the Red Sea parts. Other places in the Old Testament, the Jordan River will stop flowing because of the might of God. The sun in the sky at one point will stand still. There's all these places in the prophets that will say things like this. I am the Lord, there is no other. There's all these places in the prophets that will say, who is like me? It's a rhetorical question. No one. There's so many times in the pages of the scriptures where this line will be thrown out this line would be a question, again, a rhetorical question. 
the Lord will say, is there anything too hard for me? We're going to return to that line in a few minutes. So what can he do? What can this almighty God do? The clear answer from the Bible is anything, anything, anything that he wants to do. And so many thinkers throughout the thousands of years of our Christian tradition have heard that truth, that our God can do anything, and have quickly reminded us that that truth alone would give us absolutely no comfort if we're not sure of what he plans to do, what he wants to do with all this power that he has. Right? Because if you and I heard that there's a being in the universe that possesses all power to do anything that he wants, does that not immediately cause terror in you. Begs the question, okay, well, what exactly does he want to do? Because I'm not sure if I should be nervous under God that powerful. So second question, with all this might that he possesses, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. With all this might that he possesses, what does he want to do? It's interesting that in the Bible, whenever this phrase is used, Mighty God, it shows up in two or three places in the Old Testament. And in these couple of places in the Old Testament, Three ideas come across about what this God wants to do. How he wants to be mighty. How he wants to show power. You know, the word actually mighty God in the Old Testament usually is, is wartime language. It's battle language. So, so first thing that he desires to do. The first thing that he wants to do that the Bible teaches us is that he desires to defend his people from their enemies. That's how he wants to use this power of his, to defend his people from their enemies. I mean, the people of Israel were always surrounded by enemies encroaching in on them, ready to destroy them. They were this kind of small, nothing nation. These big, powerful empires were always surrounding them, threatening to crush them. And what the Bible reminds God's people over and over again is you don't have to be afraid. Don't forget, our God is mighty. And he will defend. He will protect. Now here's, a, here's a, another wrinkle to that idea that he desires to defend his people. Part of his unique desire to defend his people is to protect those who are particularly vulnerable. There's a place in Deuteronomy, and it goes like this. It says, this God is the Lord of lords. He's the God of gods. He's great and mighty. He is the awesome God. He takes no bribe. He shows no partiality. And your, your 
holding on to your, to your seat, thinking, oh no, what's he going to do? And then it immediately says, he executes justice for the fathers, for the widow, for the orphan. In other words, the way he desires to show his power is to protect those who are vulnerable. You guys have heard me say this and formulate it a lot of different ways, and I'm going to continue to do it in the Sundays we have together for as long as we have Sundays together. But the being in this universe who is the most powerful also happens to be the most kind and concerned for the vulnerable. And I tell you that tonight because there could be someone in the room tonight for whatever reason. You came here to worship on this Sunday night and you're, you're just feeling particularly vulnerable. You know, the scriptures teach us that the world presses us, that our flesh is at war against us, that we have an enemy, the devil, who, who roars around like a lion looking to devour. The scriptures teach us that there's an unseen wrestling match that we're in, a battle not against flesh and blood. The amount of times that I have been in conversation the last couple weeks hearing about some of the vulnerability people in our congregation feel. Thinking things that they don't want to think. Facing things that they don't want to face. Feeling fear that they don't want to fear. So you might be here tonight and you might be feeling particularly vulnerable. And what I want you to know is that Jesus is a mighty God. Here's the second thing that he wants to do with this power. The second thing he desires to do with this power is he desires to use it to rescue, to redeem, to save you and I from our sin. To purchase for us Forgiveness to redeem us from our failures. See, this, this, this phrase, mighty God, in the few times it occurs in the Old Testament, often it occurs because God's people have got themselves in a mess, and it's their own fault. They've rebelled against Him. And they find themselves weighed down in in heaviness because of their sin. They're finding themselves too far gone because of their foolishness. They're finding that everything's lost because of how wicked we've been. There's a place in the book of Nehemiah where this phrase shows up and it's this scene where God's people are confessing. It's a big corporate confession for all the sinful foolishness and rebellion that the people have kind of done. And they're saying all these things. They're they're talking about how sorry they are for their sin. And at the end of it, they learn that this mighty God is going to show how powerful he is because he's going to forgive them. It's a place in the book of Jeremiah where God's people are hearing about the judgment they're going to receive because of their sinfulness. And it's at that very moment when you're reading this text and you're thinking, well, it's over for the people. When you 
suddenly find out that the Lord says, is anything too hard for me? Because I can redeem you from anything. He's saying, is anything too hard for me? Am I not mighty? And he means it because he wants to give grace. He goes on to say, I will bring upon you every good because that's how mighty I am. Now, I, I tell you that tonight because there might be someone here tonight who just feels so keenly aware of your failures. You're just so keenly aware. You're so keenly aware of sin that entangles you. That besets you. In fact, if we could see unseen things, you've walked into this room with a little bit of a limp because you're under the weight of burden. Now, there's a couple things that happened to me this week that just clearly exposed in me patterns of sinfulness. So if that's you tonight and you feel so keenly aware, and I want to tell you again, Jesus is a mighty God. What does he want to do? There's a, there's a third way that this phrase gets used. It's kind of a combination of the first two in some ways. But it's this commitment he has to use his might, not just to defend his people from enemies, not just to rescue them from sin, but also to keep and watch them in the comings out and the goings in of their life. Psalm 121 is a good example of this kind of idea. It says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Well, what makes you think he can help? Oh, because he made the heavens and the earth. And, and that God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, he will not slumber. He will not sleep. No, the one who keeps you neither slumbers nor sleeps. Right, Joel, that's kind of redundant and repetitive. That's the idea. It says that you'll keep your goings in and your comings out from this time forth and forevermore because he desires to use his colossal strength and might to guide and watch and keep, and that means you and I can sleep. My grandmother told me one time that Psalm 121 is her favorite verse in the Bible, and she says it always reminds her that if the Lord is never going to go to sleep, there ain't no sense in the two of us staying up. <laughs> it's funny. Some of you know how deeply hopeful it is. So you might be here tonight and you just need to know that someone will watch, will guide, who will be strong enough to lead you one day at a time by His grace. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is that Jesus is a mighty God. first question is, what can he do? The answer is anything. The second question is, what does he want to do? And the answer is, defend, save, rescue, redeem, watch, and keep. And the third question 
is the question you should be asking, and it is, are you sure? Sounds really good. Are you sure? And the answer to the question is yes. And of course, you have a fourth question, a follow-up question, don't you? Well, how can you be so sure? And how can you be so sure that the Lord will use his might and power like this? How can you be so sure? There's a line in the New Testament that simply tells us that Jesus then went out bearing his own cross. You see, when Jesus goes to the cross, we learn that it's the mightiest thing that God has ever done. When Jesus goes to the cross, we learn that he forever proves. He proves his love for sinners and he shows how he uses his power and might. All the promises of God, even this promise that he is this mighty God who will watch and defend his people these promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. In the cross of Jesus, we learn and we see that our Jesus defeats the power of evil and sin and death. How can you be so sure? Because he has shown us so Now, if it is true, if it is true that Christ is the mighty God and that he can do anything and he desires to use his power like this, and if we're sure of it, which, which I believe what I just told you more than I can possibly explain to you. It, it does not make everything easier. It does not answer all my questions. It does not mean it's not super foggy and dim sometimes and we can only barely see. But if it's true, and I think it is, I believe that it is, there's one last thing I want to make sure that you know tonight. If this is true, then this Jesus' strength is always going to be most perfect in your weakness. So if you're here tonight and you feel particularly weak, I don't know anything else to tell you than to tell you you've come to the exact right God. All of this power he uses, and he uses it for you. 